Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. from and welcome to indoor air quality radio iaq radio for friday july 19th 2013 this week episode 292 comes to you from studio d in central city pennsylvania my name is radio joe hughes and joining me in the studio at the controls is our engineer roxy v val bender hi everyone And joining us from Carnegie, Pennsylvania today is our technical director and today's guest, Dr. Dietrich Wow. Today's segments include the IAQ radio trivia question. We're going to interview Dr. Wow and continue with part two of our discussion of some advanced indoor environmental quality issues, focusing on particle physics, talk a little bit about gases as well today. Of course, we'll have our halftime, thank the sponsors. And we're just going to go straight through today. Before we get started, though, let's thank our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Okay, folks know pretty much you can stream past shows right from our website homepage. Just click on the button next to the episode or go to the link at the top that says Go To Show, and that will take you where you can download shows by right-clicking on the Download button. And then you can save them to your favorite MP3 player. And, of course, you can get shows from iTunes. We also have continuing education credits available for the ABIH, IICRC, and ACAC. Just email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. All right, let's go to today's IAQ Radio Trivia Question. All right, the Z-Man is in transit today, so I'm going to take care of the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. You can win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IAQ Radio listeners. And being the first person to correctly answer our IAQ Radio Trivia Quiz each week, just email me this week at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com, or if you're listening, you can text directly on your computer. Congratulations to Andy. Andy Krasowski, Concast Metal Products. He was online again last week and was the first to identify the term neutrino as one of the fundamental and least understood particles 
which make up the universe. It was predicted by Wolfgang Pauli and later named Enrico Fermi, and named by Enrico Fermi, which means little neutral one in Italian. That was a good one by Cliff there. All right, this week's IAQ Radio trivia question is sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners. Got our annual meeting coming up here in August. Check out more information on that at www.triska.org. And, of course, you can check out more on iaqtraining.com's website about the summer break at Hidden Valley this year where we'll be doing the Advanced Indoor Environmentalists. We also have the Foundations and Intermediate course and a special Water Restoration Technician course at a low rate. I think it's 175 bucks for Triska members. Membership's only 35 bucks, So check it out. There's an electronic membership on their website. So this week's question, name the term used to refer to microscopic particles with at least one dimension less than 100 nanometers. All right. This week's guest is our technical director, Dr. Dietrich. Wow. Dieter, as we affectionately know him, is a doctor in environmental and occupational health from the University of Pittsburgh. He also taught at the university's Graduate School of Public Health and at Duquesne University, worked in industry for the Bayer Corporation, and for numerous years now, probably 35, has been a consultant uh, independent contractor doing work for numerous companies and individuals around the country a lot of expert witness testimony and of course he helps us teach courses at iaq training and he'll be a big part of our summer break coming up we've got some music for Dieter. particle man particle man doing the things a particle can what's he like it's not important particle man is he a dot or is he a speck when he's underwater does he get wet or does the water get him instead Nobody knows Particle Man. All right, that's the Particle Man. Hello, Dr. Dietrich Wild. Dieter, do we have you on the line? <laughs> Funny lyrics. It is, isn't it? You know, it, but it brings up a well, question. I like Beethoven better, so that's all right. <laughs> we'll get that on for you later. Um, it brings up a question, though, Dieter. You know, with respect to particles and water vapor uh, in the air, how do you, I don't know, we didn't talk about this. Can you talk a little bit about how they interact? Is that, like, do the particles get kind of, I don't know, coagulated by the by the water vapor? Do things start to well, gather there? We, we touched upon that yesterday, uh, yesterday, uh, uh, last Friday, during the last show. Uh, sure, there are uh, water molecules in the air in addition to oxygen and nitrogen, and a bunch of others, uh, some noble gases, who cares? I mean, in very low concentration. And, of course, particles. Now it depends on the surface properties of the particle. If you have a glass sphere, and by the way, uh, fly ash, which is thrown out by burning coal, uh, fly ash is basically glass. So it's round. I have looked and counted hundreds of thousands of them 30-some years ago under the microscope when we had contracts at the University of Pittsburgh uh, for uh, under uh, air pollution control in the, in the country. And we sure had a lot of air pollution in Pittsburgh at the time. So that was a good place to collect uh, particles. 
But there are, there are other particles, and uh, yeah, uh, silica particles, the, the normal dirt uh, uh, that is on your shoes that you bring into your house. In other words, there is not necessarily a, an industrial process involved, and there are many of those, of course, too. But now you have a particle uh, that can absorb vapors. They will absorb water, no doubt about it. Um, and uh, um, uh, other chemicals uh, which are in the air. Now comes the problem. If, that, if you wouldn't inhale them, well, we wouldn't have a problem. But none of us wants to live and run around 24 hours a day with a respirator. That, forget it. So uh, we are inhaling particles. Some of them may have some nasty stuff attached to them. Now that particle is deposited somewhere in the lung, in the lung tissue, in uh, the, the, the uh, uh, air sacs. Uh, and um, uh, somewhere, now you have a spot that is concentrated. Now there is a lot on a very small particle, but it hangs onto a cell and it can do damage over there. So that is a, 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 a problem with particulate matter. Hmm. And some of these other particles is the diesel exhaust. Those, that is particulate matter, and they can absorb quite a few things also and carry them into the lung uh, where they are uh, deposited. I, maybe I, I guess I was thinking about it wrong. I'm glad I asked the question. And we did talk a little bit about that toward the end last week, now that I think back about right. it. So I was kind of thinking that, you know, the, the water vapor, excuse me, the water vapor would kind of absorb the particle, but it's the other way around, huh? Uh, well, it, certainly. It, again, it depends on the properties of the gas. Is uh, uh, some of those gases, uh, like for instance sulfur dioxide, jumps at moisture, and uh, uh, then it's what? What do we call that when sulfur dioxide jumps at uh, moisture in the air and it falls out? It's called acid rain. Okay. okay. So. Yeah, carbon monoxide will not jump on a water uh, uh, or on a water droplet, for that matter, or for that matter, uh, onto uh, any of the other particles I mentioned before. So, so it kind of works both ways. Uh, yes, indeed. And again, it it depends on the physical properties, the affinities of uh, uh, particles, and so on, uh, which are in the air. So let's let's go back and review real quick aerodynamic equivalent diameter from last week. We talked about the importance of that. And let's let's go back to the fly ash example, Dieter. I think that's an interesting example because I assume well, that it's around everywhere. Well, that was my point. Everybody, we're all breathing fly ash to some degree. Is uh, that no accurate? doubt about it. Yes. Okay. So we're all breathing fly ash to some degree. This is a glass-like particle that's a byproduct of the combustion of coal. Correct. All right. Now, that fly ash that gets up into the air, what's the aerodynamic? Well, let's first talk about the size of the particles, the diameter of the particles. About how big is ballpark, if we can do that? 
well, uh, they are, uh, the size range is huge. Okay. And, of course, the big question is what stays in the air? So, in other words, if a, a particle exits a smokestack from a power plant or uh, uh, from, from, from any furnace which uh, burns coal, we had plenty of those in downtown Pittsburgh 100 years ago. Sure. Uh, no doubt about it, Even without some today any here in control Somerset. on them whatsoever. This has become actually a big issue in, in rural areas like Somerset, where people are using those small outdoor furnaces and burning coal in them. Uh, well, yes, and it certainly is an inexpensive way to get BTUs into your house during the winter, no doubt about it. But also now, a good way to piss off your neighbor, by the way, excuse uh, my French. Uh, that is right. <laughs> and you know, we in, and in Allegheny County, where I live, you know, the, the greater Pittsburgh area, basically, in round numbers, Pittsburgh is the, in the center of Allegheny County. We can't burn leaves and 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 and, and uh, uh, garden uh, wood like materials anymore mm-hmm. that is here it's not allowed here and for a very good reason and i remember it wasn't last year but it was a year ago in my neighborhood we all have basically the same houses it's a three bedroom two bathroom garage and my house doesn't have, unfortunately, a basement. That's why my house is so messy in other places. It's like a split level, I think they call uh, it. Yeah, it's a split level. They are all basically, we all have fireplaces. Mm. Now, a fireplace is a very inefficient way to get heat into your house. But I mean, if you're with a glass of red wine, a good piece of cheese and good bread, and uh, sitting there when it's cold outside, it's a lot of fun. It's very it's yeah, it's it's cozy. It's nice. Sure, sure. On the other hand, you're throwing out a heck of a lot of BTUs, which go up the chimney. So it's not a good way to uh, heat your house, but it is very nice. But I went out to get new wood for my fireplace, which was going very very nicely. On that day, there was virtually no wind, mm-hmm. and Joe, I tell you. I mean, I barely could breathe outside. It was irritating to the respiratory tract from, because every one of us was spitting out that stuff and there was no dilution whatsoever. Mm. Now, I don't think I will get cancer from it, but, uh, well, how often do you do that? I mean, yeah, not all year long or for years and years and years. But it was irritating, and I didn't want to be outside. So what's in there? Well, if you're burning wood, you get aldehydes. Formaldehyde is one of them. And there are a bunch of other aldehydes. These are the irritating when you get smoke in your eyes from a fire. That's the aldehydes which irritate uh, the eye uh, area. And um, so... But no, you're not getting any fly ash because that comes from the coal itself, I assume. Uh, yeah, you get you get some, yeah. The smoke that is going up, well, that is particulate matter. Okay, okay. No yeah, doubt about it. And here I... comes the interesting thing. Uh, think of a fire. You see some smoke going up. That's visible without a microscope. It's said, oh, that is smoking over there. 
Then all of a sudden, as it goes up in the air, the smoke disappears. Now, where did it go? Did it disappear to zero? Absolutely not. What is happening, as it goes up, it getting diluted, and as it is getting diluted, you don't see the particles anymore. But those particles, which are in the air up there, they are microscopic. You actually cannot see the particle. You see the effect of the particle as it breaks light, when the light shines it. That's the same thing when somebody smokes, and you see the smoke coming out. You can smell it, but all of a sudden, three feet, four feet, five feet away, you don't see the smoke anymore. Sure. Why? As not enough uh, uh, there anymore, it is getting diluted, and you don't see it as, uh, as smoke uh, uh, in the air. And now, okay, so that leads me back to the fly ash, but also to the smoke from, let's say, a wood fire. Um, the fly ash itself, I assume, like you said, there's a wide range of particle size there. I, I would assume right. it could be, what's the smallest fly ash particle size? Well, I, I counted them in a light microscope, and basically... In a, in, a, in, a, in a fantastic uh, uh, light microscope, which I had, uh, in the price range of about $35,000, uh, you can see quite easily one uh, micrometer particles, and then it starts to become fuzzy, uh, and you can't resolve with a normal light microscope smaller particles than about one micron. Okay. Or micrometer. I like. I prefer micrometer, but I work with so many biologists. I sometimes <laughs> use micron, which is the same thing. It's a millionth of a particle, uh, of a meter. And these, and it, we apply that to particles. So you saw fly ash particles one micrometer in diameter. That is correct. And but you assume, or did you verify there are also others smaller than that? Uh, I don't know that. Uh, I would say the chance that there uh, is such a is, is a smaller particle is very good, and most likely they are there. Yes. Okay. Okay. Now, this and gets... uh, I haven't looked at at uh, those particles under an electron microscope. Now, an electron microscope can resolve uh, uh, viruses. I mean, you know, incredibly small particles compared to light micros uh, light microscopy. Okay. And the problem, uh, there is a physical problem with light microscopy. The wavelength of uh, light in the middle, in that greenish-yellowish area, and I'm not talking about ultraviolet, and I'm not tra talking about infrared, in the middle, yellowish, is about half a micron. So now you have a wave coming with a wavelength of a half a micrometer. Now, you can't resolve a, the size of a half a micron particle with that. That's like trying to saw through a very thin piece of metal with a hacksaw that has two teeth branch. Oh, yeah, it just keep... doesn't work. You need something a lot finer. You, you just keep opening up more questions for me. I love this. All right, so let's go to that for a second. Roy G. Biv, that's how we learn the, the light. In, you know, the color of light in the, uh, at least where I went to school, 
red, orange, yellow, green, indigo, blue, violet, whatever, Roy G. Biv. What you see, the visible, if you see a uh, a, uh, uh, a rainbow, uh, it, it goes from blue to red. That's what you see. And there is some purple and some yellow and some green and so, and so on in the middle. Hmm. And since uh, that has, well, a rainbow is an interaction of light with, with what? Particles. Water particles. Water particles, okay. Okay. That's right. So, since ultraviolet or blue light uh, has a shorter wavelength than longer infrared, uh, it breaks uh, the light uh, gets gets broken the, the uh, uh, more. So, therefore, in a rainbow, now we can play trivia pursuit. In a rainbow, the inner one, the one towards the earth, is blue, and the outer one is red. That has something to do with the wavelength of the light. White light is not white light. Newton found that one out many years ago. And if you break that one up through a prism, well, I said, oh, my God, here, white light is coming in. And here's the spectrum uh, uh, on the wall going from blue to red. Yeah. Huh. All right. Now, all right, so we've got, and, and uh, you led me to another question here on the vapor on the water particles, but... Uh, you better schedule another session. I'm telling you, Dieter, you, you, you've got me going here. Um, okay, so let's go back to the fly ash. We've got sure. one micrometer particle of fly ash. Mm-hmm. And I, I know we didn't prep for this uh, particular question, so if you don't know off the top of your head, I understand, but with all the work you did on fly ash, do you know what? how to determine the aerodynamic equivalent diameter of a one micrometer fly ash particle. Yes, that can be done. We did that, and we got that what you need to know is A, the shape, which in the case of fly ash is very easy. It's by and large around, uh, it's like a sphere. Okay. Because it comes from liquid glass, so to speak. And if you look at fly ash particles, it's not clean glass like if you were to aerosolize quartz glass or something like that it's dirty uh it's it's not always it's usually opaque and you see something on the inside what that is i don't know is there something that could leach out uh, uh, through that glass surface is there something else sitting on there probably yes okay Okay, and what's and, and let's go through the formula again. I've got that one micrometer particle. How do I get the aerodynamic equivalent? Well, diameter? you need to know the density. Do you have <laughs> to know that off the top? If of your you head? if you have a a a, a particle, uh, let's say fly ash is something close to glass, and I don't know what the density is right now of glass. Let's say, I mean, we know glass is heavier than water, so it's somewhere near two or three. Then you take that one micrometer, which you measured under the microscope, and you multiply by the square root of the density, approximately, what, 1.5. So, in other words, a one micron particle of fly ash with a density of approximately three is 
behaves in air like a 1.5, 1.6, 1.7 micron uh, uh, micrometer particle. Okay. And um, but if it were from gold, gold is about 16. The specific, yeah, the density, the, spe the specific gravity. So it would be the square. It's one times the square root of gold uh, density, which is 16. Uh, so the square root of 16 is 4. So a one micrometer gold particle round behaves in air like a four uh, micrometer particle uh, round of density 1. Got it. Got it. That okay. is the unit we are using. We make it round and we make it density 1. Now I can compare everything to that. And now we get a better idea of, and this is leading to my next question, if and when this particle will settle out of the air. Yes. Okay. I've got a one micrometer fly ash particle with an yep. air, air equivalent aerodynamic equivalent diameter of about one and a half. We'll round it off. We'll use Oh, thereabouts, yes. Okay, about one and a half micrometers. On last week's show, you said a one micrometer particle, indoors at least, would probably not hit the ground because it would adhere, if I'm not using the right term, let me know, to a wall or to something else before it got to that point. What Absolutely. It's the settling velocity in air. The settling velocity in air is so little, it for all practical purposes stays airborne. Hmm. And we know that, Joe, you and I, remember we have used the particle counters? Yes. Uh, today, about $3,000 a piece, you can get one. And they are wonderful, wonderful instruments. They measure particles by size but not aerodynamic size, by size as the particle interferes at, at, uh, with light. And you know when we take samples, uh, the typical range is from 0.3 micrometers to 0.5 to 1 to 2 to 5 and some say even 10. Uh, and you know I mean, the overwhelming number of particles are in the very small range. Sure. Why? Because they are airborne forever. Okay. They don't settle out. But they do. So a little bit of thermal current, a little bit of wind, uh, can yeah. It's 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 incredible how profound that is on the behavior of these little particles in air. Okay, so we've got one of these little particles in the air, and it's in a room, and it, how does it, what causes the attraction to a wall, let's say? I'm, I'm thinking ahead about cleaning this room, and I've got a bunch of one micrometer particles, they're always there, we oh, know we've got them. There are thermal forces on there, and uh, those particles uh, go to uh, cold surfaces, that is certainly one of them. There could be by and large, that is not the case over here. Electrical forces. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you if you wear something polyester or something like this shirt, that is electrostatic. We all know that it's electrostatically charged. I have a very comfortable pair of pants which which I wear during the winter, 
and when I walk once through the house, the hair from my cat goes on there like like mm-hmm. a magnet. Right, right. Uh, so there are electrostatic uh, forces. Now the electrostatic forces that is interesting are virtually not existent in the lung. Why? Because the relative humidity in the lung is a hundred percent, and when you have 100% uh, relative humidity, the electrostatic forces are gone. We know that. When do we know that? During the winter, when it is nice and dry in the air, and you go to a switch which is grounded, what does it, you feel it, bang. You get a discharge from your finger to the ground. Hmm. You don't get it (laughs) right in my house right now, forget it. Like in my house right now, I have about 70% relative humidity. Right. Right. Okay. So this particle, and we're going to use, um, I'll use a mold spore. Okay. Okay. I just came from a job that we're looking at mold spores. And yep. some of the ones we're looking at this on this particular job are aspergillus and penicillium type spores, mostly aspergillus. Uh, the, the usual suspects, yes. Yeah. They're about two micrometers to four micrometer. That sounds about right, yes. Now, that is the size under the microscope. Now, they are not round. They have a shape factor to it, so they don't quite uh, uh, behave like a, let's say, a four micrometer sphere of density one. They behave a little bit differently. Talk to me a little bit about that. All of them easily inhalable in that size range, and even due to the, I mean, their shape is not uh, completely out of range, like a fiber. Well, they may look like a little bit like a potato. They are not completely nice and round. And um, uh, 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 it's a biological uh, uh, particle. Uh, There are uh, if you look under the microscope, like hairs on them sometimes or something like this. Sure. So it doesn't quite behave like a five micrometer particle, but we are close. Okay. We are close. And I don't know what the uh, aerodynamic equivalent diameter would be on a mold spore. I assume you don't know off the top of your head because you don't Probably, have... well, we have to take into account the density. Uh, I take it, I'm pretty sure that the density of a mold spore is less than one, than one that, that of water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and certainly the shape factor may have something to do with it. So let's say under the microscope, a four micrometer spore that you see may behave in air like a three micrometer standard sphere of density one. Okay. Probably a little bit smaller. And again, now it comes. A, it stays airborne for quite some time, and it is easily inhalable, and it can be easily deposited in the lung. Okay, and it could easily, I would assume, also adhere to surfaces like uh, walls and um, desks and so on and so forth. Now, how difficult, once that particle is attached or adhered or whatever the right term is to a wall or to a desk or to whatever 
how difficult is it to get that particle away from that surface and collect it, if you know what I mean? I mean, I've got a high-efficiency vacuum. Good luck. Good luck. Because they... I remember... I remember a, a, a problem that I was giving when I was in grad school, and somebody collected on a microscope slide small particles. And uh, as he goes from where he collected it to the microscope, the microscope slide falls down. How many particles did he lose? Well, he probably added some of them because the ones that were there before, uh, which were hanging on the slide, they are sitting there basically forever. Okay. okay. So, in other words, you can't really brush them off. You just push them from one side to the other. And if you blow them off, yes, you could, you could do that. Now, the one way to, to do that... Yeah, use the sticky tape. Now you lift them off. There is no doubt about that. Yes. Hmm. And are you familiar with these electro, or what do they call them, the electrostatic, the, like a Swiffer cloth? What, what do they call that, Dieter? The Swiffer has it's a... An elect- that's right. In fact, I have one of those, uh, which I use, and that's what I bought it for. I have one which is a rectangular, like a big uh, uh, a washcloth type thing. Mm-hmm. And the other one is a glove, and it is something on there. I use it in the car to get the dust off my dashboard. Yeah, they call them microfiber cloths. Yeah, microfiber. Now, there, aha, here we come. That has a, a small particle. If you want to catch a small particle, you need very small fibers. And that leads us into um, a filtration. Okay. All right. Before we you do see, that, though, I so gotta... that's if you have a normal one, yes, you can uh, remove quite a few of them, and probably pleasing to the eye. In other words, you don't see the dust anymore. Okay. But that doesn't mean that that surface that there will be millions of bacteria, and there can be still mold spores, all particles which you can't see, and those are the ones in round numbers half the size of your hair. Now, you can see them if you have a million and millions and millions in one square inch or something like that. But normally, you don't. If you look at a surface after you wiped it, you said, oh, the dust, it's dust. Yeah, the white glove uh, uh, test. Yes. But, oh, this is clean. <laughs> no, it is not clean. All right. All <laughs> but right. it is clean to the human eye. All right, I've got some follow-up questions first we have to take a 60 second break with our uh, Dieter I love this uh, Dr. Dietrich wow I, I just love talking well, we will to go about into things. much more detail uh, in just about a month absolutely it's hard to, it's hard to believe what today is the 19th and we are 21st. yeah in, in, in just about four weeks we will I can go into much more detail and we have uh, we are at the tip of the iceberg right now Dater, hold on for just a minute. We'll be right back with today's guest. We gotta, we gotta sell a little bit here, yeah. Doctor Dietrich, wow, we do, Dater. I'll talk to you. We'll be right back. Mm -hmm.
thanks to our association sponsors. The Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanclenfax.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Okay, we're back with the second half of our interview. We're talking particles and cleaning of particles and settling rates of particles and aerodynamic equivalent diameters, and Dr. Dietrich Wow is our guest. Dieter, before the break, we, we had a, a mold spore on a wall, and it yes. was a four micrometer, two to four micrometer aspergillus spore, and that, that mold spore had, had attached to the wall. I don't know what term should I use? Adhered? Attached? Um, Adherence is fine. Adhered to the wall. Now, yeah. we talked about the difference between using a, a regular cloth and a microfiber cloth in that the smaller fibers are going to be more successful at, at removing these small particles. Now, let me go a step further. What if I add water to that cloth? How does that affect my cleaning capability? Well, uh, sure, but if you, yeah, if you're touching the wall, uh, that that would certainly help. You still, yeah, you still don't have a sterile area where you're wiped, but uh, uh, that that certainly will help. Yes. Okay. Now let's say I add a surfactant to that water. Will that help? Uh, well, not not a heck of a lot. Okay. Okay, but, um, but it would help if I had a really like grimy wall, right? I mean, if I had to break the surface tension. Well, sure, a bit. certainly. I mean, yeah, uh, 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 like I, in fact, I have to clean the ceiling above my stove, and there are particles, your know, fat particles, or whatever else. I yeah, when I fry an egg or when I cook, what is hanging up there, and there, you know, I use some. Some of these spray things, whatever they are called, I bought a whole bottle of them full. I forgot about it, what it is. What is that, 408 or 804 or something like that? And fantastic. There are a bunch of those. They all act in the same way. They cut grease a little bit, which is fine. Okay. Um, 
I'm just trying to help a listener who's having trouble getting on here. Uh, I was going to text you a message here, Dan. Hopefully you'll be able to get on. We've had some trouble with people getting bumped off a little bit here lately. But anyway, now, Dieter, so I guess what I was trying to differentiate between there is the gross cleaning phase versus the final cleaning phase. And, and we've heard, you know, the HEPA wipe, HEPA sequence, where people HEPA vacuum something, then they wet wipe it, then they HEPA vacuum it again. It sounds to me like, you know, that might be a great sequence for the gross cleaning phase, but maybe I should go to a dry uh, microfiber cloth for the final cleaning phase. Would you have an opinion on that? Uh, well, I still would think that a good vacuum cleaner equipped with a HEPA filter, the high-efficiency particulate air filter, which are, you know, for all practical purposes, almost 100% efficient to uh, catch little particles that we are uh, of, which are of interest to us. Um, it's I I would prefer that uh, to just wiping. I think if you only wipe, you kind of transport them from one spot to another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so HEPA wipe HEPA, you feel is a pretty good sequence. Well, it's an, it's a, it's it. I mean, hey, that that is based on theory. Yes. Okay, and you've looked at the so first, we get the big stuff off. Now the little stuff is still there, and they said, hey, okay, let's uh, uh, back that. And again, you just, I mean, and now you see also, you can screw up that process if you, quote, cheat a little in between. You know what I mean? No. Uh, if you don't HEPA-VAC uh, the whole uh, water, said, ah, I don't need to do that. The thing is, in both cases, you will clean the surface good to the human eye, but the question is, how much uh, uh, is still left there, which is not visible? And those are the small particles, which, by and large, don't really bother me all that much. Okay. Okay. Now, but some people are more, they're very concerned about these small particles, especially, and we haven't even gotten into this, the the spore fragments, the, the broken up, very, very tiny particles. But That's right. And, and they can be really small. I don't even know how they can figure out how many there are, which is another issue. You know, you've got a two micrometer particle that has been broken into. And you cut it in four pieces. Yeah. Now what? You know, um, really tough. But before I go there, so another method commonly used as a part of the final cleaning process for at least mold remediation and I know we did this with asbestos and with lead and with numerous other things is is essentially an air washing where you go in and you intentionally with a leaf blower or a blower of some type or even the exhaust of my air filtration device intentionally direct air or an air mover toward that wall to knock the fiber off the wall, get it airborne, and try and pull it into my air filtration device. Um, You may also deposit a couple more. You may brush them off. And yes, indeed, if you blow air, which is basically clean, if it's the the exhaust of a negative air machine or an air handler... Which is the way we like to do it. ...goes through, hopefully, a well-installed HEPA filter without any leaks... So basically what comes out at the end is a very, very clean airstream. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the same airstream we use HEPA filtration where in the ceilings of operating rooms where we don't tolerate bacteria and mold spores. We don't like those. So we run air over the operating table 
which has been filtered above with HEPA filters. And sure, is that 100%? No, there's still a handful of bacteria, but our bodies and, and, and the antibiotics we're taking and the medicine later on well, takes care of that easily. But you certainly don't want to overexpose somebody or more than necessary. Sure. All right. So, so yeah, right. now you're basically you are circulating the air. You're throwing it against the wall. There will be, there will be definitely a couple of particles. With a very clean airstream, you will remove some, certainly not all. They become airborne and hopefully yeah, get sucked in the front again and then caught in the HEPA filter uh, uh, later on. So if you let a, a, a negative air machine, an air handler, an air filtration unit, whatever you want to call it, it's a fan with a pre-filter and a final filter. The final filter is the HEPA filter. Uh, that's basically what it is. If you let that one sit in a room, uh, that is excellent for small particles. I worked years ago for Westinghouse Electric Corporation here in Pittsburgh, and we were making, building at the time, uh, electron microscopes to look basically, basically at particles on printed circuits. And it is mind-boggling what we could do, even that is 45 years ago. It's much better today than that. We had in our room about four of those air filtration units. We had our telephone on top of it. We had books on top of it. There was the pre, and there was a clean uh, uh, laboratory area anyway. But we had four, like one on each wall. They were running 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and we never turned them off. And the air in that room was clean, hmm. you know, as clean as it could get. Now, we were not that much interested in it. In other words, when I went to my desk over there, I didn't wear a Tyvek suit. I didn't wear something over my head. Right. Uh, in other words, right. like where we would release what? Skin cells, dry right. skin cells, which are being shed by our bodies by a couple of million a day. So we didn't do that. But I was also in a, a laboratory area at IBM, somewhere in New Jersey. I forgot where it was. And to get into that place, you had to wear a Tyvek suit with a hood on it. Basically, they buttoned you up all over the place, and the only thing that looked out were your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they didn't want any dust in there, because if a dust particle hits one of those uh, uh, microcircuits, uh, it's gone. Yep. yep. Can't tolerate that. Well, now, all right, let me, let me take this a step further. So we've got this particle, we've HEPAVAC, wet wipe, we talked about that, we talked about the microfiber cloths, we talked a little bit about using the air movers, um, some kind of air, forcing air against the wall to knock that particle off the wall. Now comes the next tricky question, because you said, <clears throat> I forget what exactly what you said, but you said, hopefully, that's what you said, hopefully, our air filtration device or our scrubber will then capture that particle. But 
we know, and I think most of our listeners know, the capture zone on those pieces of equipment isn't terribly big. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, certainly. Certainly. That is the same problem that I ran into or that one has to tackle when you are building industrial ventilation systems. Mm. So you have a grinder. Well, uh, the, the and we build we, uh, we have a grinder, we build a hood around it. Let me go two steps back. If you uh, if you had a vacuum cleaner, that would be great, particularly in my house. And uh, uh, I turn on the, vac- the vacuum cleaner, and now I suck air by the motor into my vacuum cleaner. At the end is a nozzle with which I want to catch uh, uh, the dust. If you literally, if you go like three times the diameter that has something to do with the uh, uh, velocity, the entry velocity, but any, if you go about three or four diameters away from the suction point, you virtually don't do anything. Okay. If, if something were to happen, that would be great. You put the, uh, you put the, um, the vacuum cleaner in the middle of the room, you go and drink a beer, and when you come back, the whole cl- uh, room is clear. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't work that way. The jet effect, yeah, the same amount of air that is going into the nozzle, into the catching nozzle, uh, is the same amount of air that comes out. Now, the jet effect is something like 20, 30, 40 times the diameter of the, ex- uh, the exit. So, in other words, you feel it. We all know that. When you use a hairdryer, bang, you know. Right, But right. Uh, uh, if, if you have a vacuum cleaner and you have, uh, don't smoke, but have a cigarette over there, if you put that cigarette about six inches away, seven inches away, adios. The effect, the suction effect, uh, uh, is almost zilch at that point. All right. So with an air scrubber, where I'm not venting it to the outside, I'm just kind of recirculating the air, I have to be concerned about that issue. But what about when I make it a negative air machine and I vent it to the outside? How Does that affect the capture zone at all? No. Okay, I didn't think so. It, it, that so. doesn't. It it affects of how many par- Yeah, it. Uh, if you want to get rid of the particles, yeah. Okay, do it to the outside. But on the other hand, if your filter, the HEPA filter, the final filter works, yeah, correctly, there isn't much you are throwing out. You use it then to get, uh, yeah, a little bit of negative pressure into the room that uh, uh, so that is intentional yes right and that's what i'm wondering Dieter. how much does that I, I don't know if you've ever measured this and and that's something we're going to do at summer break how much does creating that negative pressure help with you know you've got a sealed off room essentially and you create that negative pressure how much is that going to help with removing the particle mass from the room as opposed to a scrubber in the same sealed off room so oh i mean that again assuming that the hipaa filter works it really doesn't matter yeah basically you are throwing clean air out to the outside okay 
if you throw clean air back into the room, and let's assume, yeah, that, uh, 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 the SIPA filters are almost 100% efficient for these particles we are talking about. Okay. Yeah, 99 point whatever, 97 or, yeah, right. close to it. Right. Never say 100, never say zero. They are very, they're very good. So it doesn't really matter. The reason you do it to the outside is that, A, uh, you, you, you catch the particles in the filters before, so that is good, and B, uh, you also create a negative pressure, then only the room that you are working in from there, you, you want to have a negative pressure that whatever you are disturbing there doesn't go to the next room. Right. Now, but but does that help me in... Does, I'm trying to figure out how to work this. So if I have just a scrubber, I have the same exact setup, but I have a scrubber in the middle of a room or I have an air filtration device in the middle of a room vented to the outside working as a negative air machine. Can you see any benefit to one versus the other with respect to cleaning well, the particulate? Well, yes. If you, if you go back into the room and don't throw it to the outside, um, yes, you will be stirring up particles on the floor or maybe from the wall at which, uh, in the direction of where the exhaust goes. That is the jet effect, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you may stir up some particles, which yeah, sooner or later they will find the entry into the filtration system, and then get caught. Okay, that, that doesn't work in five minutes. We know that, and uh, you know, uh, like I said, the operating rooms and all of that—they're they're, they're on twenty-four hours a day, even though they don't do yeah procedures 24 hours a day so now let's look at i've got a, a, a rectangular room okay and in the corners there won't be as good a mixing this is a theory that i've heard and that i'm trying to get you to clarify for me here the corners won't have as good a mixing as the rest of the room and there will be less particulate captured from the corners than from the rest of the room. But I'm thinking over well, time, it's going to even out. I mean, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't think so. If you point it towards the corner, I don't see aerodynamically anything that would yeah, make that less efficient. Okay. And the mixing, we know that. On the other hand, take a smoke tube and put it over there, and then you, you visually can determine whether mixing is taking place. I don't think it makes a lot of a difference. Well, and that's something I want to experiment with at summer break. Yeah, great. Oh, that's wonderful. And then, oh, hang on, dear, my, my headset my headset got a little screwed up. But uh, All right, now hey. let's take it one more step. Let's say I have an air filtration device in my, in my theoretical, I don't know, let's, everybody's used to a, a familiar with a school classroom typically 20 feet by 30 feet by 15 feet high okay yeah, that sounds about right let's, yes let's let's make that our theoretical room here so i've got one scenario where i just have a, a air scrubber in the middle of the room then i've got another scenario where i've got an air filtration device being used to create a negative pressure in the in the middle of the room but a flex duct going out a window or whatever and right. I, I usually tell people to set it up so that the, the air filtration device is at the farthest point away from the entry and exit. 
Uh, Excellent idea, yes. Okay, to help with creating the negative pressure, but it, my theory has also been, and maybe I'm wrong, that it will help with uh, cleaning the air a little bit better, too. But I Well, yeah, there isn't, uh, you know, we are talking about, what, four air changes? Uh, in my classroom at the University of Pittsburgh, which we had, we had like four registers in the ceiling that were coming up. We had about 12 air changes per hour in that room under normal circumstances. And there wasn't a wind. You wouldn't notice any air movement. You know, the curtains, well, in the old days we did have curtains. They didn't move. You didn't feel a, uh, a air over there. In other words, even at 12, at 12 air changes per hour in that room, there wasn't a hurricane going on. Sure. Now, if you go to lead and asbestos, abatement said the minimum should be four air changes. Well, for all practical purposes, you have uh, no air movement. I mean, huge air movement. Yes, there is a little bit from where it steals the air to the machine, but it doesn't suck it in uh, uh, like a magnet. No. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let me let me take it another step here, and then I want to, I, I just got a text from a listener I want to, uh, that's a great term that I want to get Dr. Wild to talk about in a moment. But anyway, I've got the first scenario where I just have a scrubber. The second, I have a, a, an air filtration device just as a negative air machine. Now, if I do both, I have a scrubber and a negative air machine, that's my next question. Do you think I'm going to clean the air a little bit better then? Yes, I think you do. Okay. Now, I want hey, you, you got to you keep it under. You use basically one machine that cleans a little bit of the air, and the other one stirs it up so whatever is in there is being caught. Got it. Rather than sitting on the floor, and there are people who said, "Hey, we come with a leaf blower uh, 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 during final inspection, and we blow up area. Not blow it up. We, 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 <laughs> we stir it up. Stir it up. <laughs> blow every corner with air." And to stir it all up, well, you know, if you if you had uh, uh, let these machines run for two or three days, you would be a heck of a lot better off, no doubt about it. All right. Uh, yeah, who has the time to do that? Well, that's another issue. We want to get this room cleaned as quick as possible. Now, let me let me go to a, a, a term a listener put in here, and I, I think it's a perfect time for that. Can you discuss laminar airflow and why... That is commonly used in like uh, areas where they're trying to clean, like clean rooms, etc. That laminar airflow is important for that type of tech, um, that type of environment. Well, the laminar airflow, which is has a lower velocity, that has something also to do with the Reynolds number, and there is you know, the opposite is of course turbulent airflow, and they want they have laminar airflow. Uh, to minimize, to minimize um, a resuspension of uh, 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 materials that are or, or particles which are in the room that are settled. Okay. okay. Yeah. And that's is that... they don't only use it in operating rooms. They also use it in in the top notch spray booths at Mercedes and Volvo and yeah, all the others in Detroit. Uh, they use that one also. 
So can you describe that a little more for me? So it's a lower velocity of air, but is it is it trying to make the airflow, I don't know, for lack of a better term, straighter as opposed to circular? Yes, it will be, yes. Okay. And there, there are no, they call it eddy currents and so on, which resuspend uh, particles again and kind of blow them back, so to speak. So you want to have a laminar flow coming down and uh, they, these are the downflow spray booths uh, for uh, you know, top-notch uh, automotive, automotive, automotive uh, class A finishes. Yeah, that's where you want it. If you, if you spray paint a, a, a truck or a machine that you take underground, who cares? But you know, we want a nice shiny car with uh, a top-notch without any imperfection on it. And then you need that laminar airflow. And, well, in, in many of these uh, spray booths, uh, they do use that also. They want to minimize particles. Uh, they have a water bath underneath. So if anything goes down, it hits the water and can't be re-entrained. That is the name for that. Yes. All right, now, take me a step further on this, Dieter. You're saying the airflow, at least in these spray booths, come from above? Yes. And then it works its way, and it's forced down toward the floor? Yes. Okay, and then... That's, it's, the car is on a grate, and underneath is water. That's what so I'm whatever saying. hits the water will never be re-entrained and jump on the paint. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So how do we do that yeah, there, in a there water are, I know bed? one spray booth. It's not too far from my house. In fact, uh, that I repaired a little bit uh, on my car, and he can put trucks into that thing. Huh. It's unbelievable. I mean, easily six passenger cars. Dieter, it's a huge spray booth. We may have to go to a part three on this one, Dieter. This has been so well, much fun. We, I, we have, we have the some. We didn't, we didn't talk about all the other problems with uh, indoor air quality. We didn't talk about filtration, really, a little bit. And and by the way, with these micro cloths and so on, I think there's also some electrostatic. Uh, 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 forces are happening. Okay. And we didn't talk about carbon monoxide. We didn't talk about filtration. <laughs> well, we can do number three, and we in four weeks we uh, 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 hey, many of those uh, topics uh, you can discuss and uh, uh, talk more about after uh, classes. That's right. That's right, dear. Well, hey, this has been so much fun. Both shows, I really appreciate it, and um, I, I do believe. We're going I'm to glad, have to do Joe, it. that you. I mean, you and I, we are working together now, what, for six years, and I'm glad. You know, I mean, how should I say that? Yeah, you are catching on, and I said, my God. There is more to it than meets the eye. Absolutely, Dieter. I mean, it's been actually 12 uh, years for us, but yeah, six on this. I don't know this. who teaches this nowadays anymore. Well, that's what we're trying to, to provide here, yeah. Dieter, is a, a way for people to get this kind of information where it may not be that easily found. I know nobody is teaching it this way to people who are doing indoor environmental quality contracting right. and consulting. Right. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe somebody is somewhere, but no one I'm familiar with. Um, and that's what we're trying to do here. And we're going to do more of it August 21st, 22nd, 23rd at the summer break at Hidden Valley, Pennsylvania. Beautiful facilities. I mean, not the, it's not exactly a four-star, but it's a nice place in the gorgeous Laurel Mountains of Pennsylvania. We've got Dr. Dietrich Weil. We've got 
Um, Sam Rashkin from the U.S. Department of Energy coming in. We've got Mike Boy, McGinnis. very, very interesting. Oh, Sam's fascinating. Four-hour building session, building science session at that conference. Um, we've got Mike McGinnis coming in, who is just, uh, you know, the, one of the more interesting people you'll ever meet. He's uh, well-known in the indoor air quality, indoor environmental quality world. Um, we've got microbiology people, Herb Lehman, Eric Ciotti. I've got um, just a, a star-studded cast, Kevin Kennedy coming in from Children's Mercy Hospital, Kansas City. Uh, Francis Conlin, a professional engineer who does uh, building enclosure work. With uh, He was with Advanced Energy years ago. Now he has his own uh, business where he does that type of work. Um, and, and the list goes on. I wish I had um my my show notes in front of me here in fact val might be able to pull them up for me but anyway i want to thank everyone for listening this week i want to thank our guest dr dietrich weil for joining always us. a pleasure joe always great to have you i know i'll talk to you over the weekend here and follow through um oh i've also i also want to mention uh that we've got tim hoiser tim and i are going to do a session on um a project we did that's very interesting on um uh, it's a it's a commercial mechanical systems project that I'm I'm very very interested in uh, doing some some more detail on with folks. Uh, we're also going to do contract documents. Uh, I've got Tom Peter coming in, who's our what our car contractor CIH. We're doing a water restoration course with Billy Wigan and Gary Loyman. Uh We've got uh, just a, a star-studded cast. Oh, of course, my co-host the Z-Man Cliff Zlotnick. Uh, he's doing the opening mark remarks and opening session on day three where we'll focus on restoration and and he said joe let me just do what's on my mind and uh that should be interesting for those of you out there who know cliff anyway thanks again to our guest for today dr dietrich wow thanks to roxy v at the controls good job roxy v and to our growing group of loyal listeners thanks for hanging in there dan barry i appreciate you sticking around and uh, we'll have the recording up very soon iaq susan nice to see you on hope to talk to you soon you got to come to hidden valley anyway we'll see everybody here next friday at noon we're going to talk water activity we've got some folks on that are going to uh discuss a new instrument that they are working on came from the food area uh food um you know services they help people evaluate the water activity in food they've made some adjustments to their equipment and they're working on equipment that will assist us with determining water activity on surfaces when we're concerned about microbiological activity and biological growth so that will be next friday at noon when we join you for the next episode of iaq radio Welcome to the fallout Welcome to resistance The tension is here The tension is here Between who you are and who you could be Between how
has been another IAQ Radio production. 